Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. All right, let's do this. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, May 27th. Frank Stanfield joined by Chris Towers today on the show. Most traded players on CBS. We're going to do a Chris Paddock deep dive. I've read an interesting article that I want to tell you all about. More injuries because, you know, today ends in a Y, so why wouldn't there be? Uh, we're going to recap the rest of Wednesday's action, and we will get to your fantasy justice questions. So I hope you're ready to judge the people, Chris, and give us a verdict. I never want to judge the people. <laughs> you know, the the people are, are great. The people pay our salaries. So <laughs> I'd really rather not judge the people. I'm in a good mood, Chris. How you doing? I'm a little sleepy, but I'm good. It is late. It's it's past midnight here on the East Coast, yeah. as it normally is. Yeah, it's fine. I'm good. I just gotta you know, it's it's that kind of thing where like I know I have to work at midnight, but like I start feeling sleepy at like nine and I'm like, well, I can't take any caffeine because I'll just be up all night. And so I just, I'm powering through it. I'm good. Let's go. Does it have that effect on you? Because I, I, I usually, uh, well, they don't sponsor us or anything, but I usually <laughs> slam like a Red Bull an hour before the podcast. And that's why I'm all always like crazy and jittery and, and high energy and stuff. And then as soon as the podcast ends, I just want to go right to sleep, but I have to edit the podcast and, and that's how the rest of my night goes. So. You know, uh, falling asleep is very difficult for me as is. I can't have any anything putting me off. I feel you. I feel you there, man. Sleep, not the easiest thing to come by. Oh, my good, goodness gracious. All right, let's recap some of Wednesday's standouts. Where do you want to start, Chris? I think you got to start with Luis Garcia, who had a very, very good start against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Six innings, two hits, no earned runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. Threw 100 pitches, only gave up six hard-hit balls. But it wasn't just what he did on the mound, but what happened away from the park, I guess, for the Houston Astros. What happened in the training room, maybe, um, or in the manager's office. Lance McCullers was placed on the I.L. with a shoulder injury, which kind of came out of nowhere. Um, And Christian Javier... Do I have that right? Christian Javier was moved to the bullpen. That, is, the, that yeah. is correct. Yep. So even with Jake Odorizzi likely coming back soon, it sure seems like Luis Garcia is going to be in the rotation moving forward. Yep. And we got a bunch of Astros news today. Framber Valdez is going to make his season debut on Friday against the Padres. He was a top 25 starting pitcher in both fantasy points per game and in Roto last year, someone who routinely went deep into his starts. So good news there on Framber Valdez. And Jake Odorizzi will start on Saturday. So you have those two entering the rotation. Luis Garcia remaining in the rotation along with Zach Greinke. Jose Urquidy made a rehab start at Double A on Wednesday night. 
And it looks like that's going to be the five moving forward. I think Urquidy's expected to be back by next week. Christian Javier's in the bullpen, as we mentioned. And Lance McCullers is on the IL. Seemingly out of nowhere, as you mentioned. But Luis Garcia was great. It was actually his first quality start of the season. He usually goes only around five innings pitched, uh, but... This was different, obviously going up against the Dodgers, 11 swinging strikes. The ERA down to 2.93 with a 1.02 whip for Luis Garcia. And if you play in points leagues on CBS, he has SPARP eligibility, which, you know, coming into the year, Chris, we were like, oh, SPARP is so bad this year. And now it's kind of good because the player I'm about to talk about is James Caprillion, who had another very good start. But outside of those two, we have Freddie Peralta. We have Alex Wood. Nick Pavetta has been serviceable-ish. Same thing with Cole Irvin. There's been a pretty good amount of spark pitchers so far this year in points leagues. Uh, just going back to Luis Garcia, he's only 43% rostered. It looks like he's in line for a two-star week next week versus Boston at Toronto, which is actually at Buffalo now. Not the greatest matchups, but I kind of feel like in a two-star week, he should be rostered in more than 43%. Yeah, and just to be clear, this is Luis Garcia of the Houston Astros. I know Luis Garcia of the Washington Nationals was just called up. Not that guy. I think going into next week, he probably needs to be about 70 to 75% rostered just because of the two-start week, maybe a little higher. He's been really good. You know, it's like you said, he's not going deep into games all that regularly, but 47 strikeouts to 40 walk or in 40 innings, only 15 walks, 338 ERA. There is a lot to like about Luis Garcia, who also has a very good minor league track record to back him up. Yep, 100%. So I do think if you are looking for a two-star pitcher for next week, Luis Garcia, he's thrived in even some tougher matchups as he did again on Wednesday. James Caprillion, my oh-my-goodness gracious player from Wednesday, a standout for me. He was going up against the Seattle Mariners. Seven shutout with two hits, two walks, only four strikeouts, only four swinging strikes on 94 pitches. So a bit of a mixed bag here and something I didn't love to see. He averaged 91.7 miles per hour on his fastball. That velocity was up over 93 miles per hour in each of his first two starts. But what I did take away is this quote that I saw in the recap on MLB.com. And Caprillion had this to say, Not my best stuff today, to be honest. It was one of those mental games where I had to compete. Catcher Aramis Garcia did a really good job of helping me make adjustments, just move the ball and get ahead of the count. Knowing I didn't have my best stuff, I wanted to go out and use my defense. So I think the fact that he realized that, made adjustments mid-game, still managed to go seven, albeit, you know, not against a great lineup, a lineup that's been no-hit twice, I thought it was overall encouraging for James Caprillion, Chris. So uh, I would rather have Luis Garcia than than Caprillion. I think long-term, you know, he might not have a spot in the rotation if everyone's healthy, but I think as long as he's pitching like this, you should add him in deeper leagues. I agree with that, yeah. I think... um... You know, with Caprillion, it's not... I guess this was a little bit of a disappointing start because it it seemed like he might be, you know, someone who's capable of getting more strikeouts. And obviously, you know, the explanation he had makes sense to a point. But I don't know. I think there are reasons to be skeptical. But the fact that he's RP eligible in points leagues makes a huge difference. And yeah, I think he can be something like a, a major league average starter moving forward, hopefully. Also in line for two starts next week for Caprillion. It's one of those mixed bag ones where he's at Seattle. Okay, fine. I I usually don't love pitchers facing the same team twice, two starts in a row, but it is Seattle. Uh, He's at Seattle and at Colorado. So 
obviously you don't love that second start, but uh, Seattle hopefully can make up for all of it. So there you go, two SPARP eligible players, pitchers, that should probably be rostered in more leagues. James Capillion and Luis Garcia. want to give a shout out to Mike Schilt. Chris, I don't know if you saw this, but it was it was wild. And I I mean, how can you not agree with Mike Schilt, right? So the story, if anyone doesn't know, Giovanni Gallegos was told to uh, basically take his change hat, his hat, change his hat because there was like a dirt spot on it that could have been a substance or something that he wasn't supposed to have on his hat. And then after the game, Mike Schilt, well, he threw like a tirade in the middle of the game and he was ejected. But after the game, he was just brutally honest with the media. It was like 10 minutes. He just went up there, ripped baseball, ripped the commissioner's office, said, look, you know, I got to stand up for the integrity of the game and the fact that, you know, there are all these other guys using all these substances in baseball and no one's cracking down on those guys. And then you're coming after my pitchers who... Uh, may or may not be using stuff. He was, you know, kind of on the fence with it. But yeah, that was kind of weird. Just yeah. like, kind of like, he basically admitted that Giovanni Gallegos was using foreign substances. It was basically he, he was saying, you know, he was wearing sunscreen, and also he had rosin. Rosin is legal. I don't know if like intentionally mixing rosin and sunscreen is legal, but there was actually a really good article on the Athletic a couple of weeks back by you know Saris where he did some studies on what substances increase spin rate the most. And sunscreen and rosin was a relatively minor increase, you know, maybe 50 to 100 RPMs on average. And there were some other substances that uh, were like 200 to 300. So, you know, it was, it was kind of weird that he was like, hey, look, he was just doing this one thing. But other guys are doing other things. But no, he's 100% right. The, the, I'm, I'm shocked that there hasn't been basically just like an escalating that manager called out this pitcher, so we'll call out his pitcher kind of thing. Because every team has guys doing something like this. Yeah, that's why you can't really call other people out, yeah. right? It's because you know to an extent your players are are doing the same things. And he kind of hinted at that too. Like he was, again, he was like on the fence the way that he was doing it, but just completely ripped the commissioner's office and the fact that MLB has turned a blind eye to this whole pitchers using foreign substances. And I loved it. I, I thought it was phenomenal. So if you haven't checked it out, uh, go. It's like a 10 minute rant of him just sitting up there and defending the integrity of the game. So I thought it was and, awesome. And just like specifically mentioning that like, there are guys who are doing things that are making them much better. And I think that the general consensus at this point, at least amongst people who've you know thought about it and done some research is that like something like rosin and sunscreen, let them use it. It increases their grip. It makes it the game more safe, but it doesn't necessarily cause them to have a huge competitive advantage. But he did mention, you know, there are guys seeing giant jumps in their spin rate as a result of what they're doing. It's like, that's where the issue comes in. <laughs> Trevor Bauer. It did seem like that was, I mean. He's like the poster child for it, but well, yeah, I'm not, not going like, to single oh, out. There are some guys who are using stuff that's like, you know, helping them have career seasons. And it's like, oh, yeah, well. you know, maybe the guy and, and he specifically yeah. pointed out people who are making money off of it. Right. It just so yeah. happens. Trevor Bauer just got this massive contract and, and won the Cy Young. So, look, I'm not just going to call out Trevor Bauer because I'm sure there's a bunch of pitchers doing Tons. it. Garrett yeah. Cole, whatever. I'm a Yankees fan. I'll say like he's probably he was probably one of the first people to be doing it with the Astros. So, uh, I'm you know 
I'll call everyone out. I saw, I saw a video earlier in the season of John Means' fingers sticking to his glove. Like He's yeah. clearly doing something with it. So Let's just, like, MLB should just have a substance that every team gets, like, large shipments of that they leave in the dugout, and you are allowed to use that, and that is legal. And anything else, there is a zero-tolerance policy. All right, so we've already gotten way off track here, but uh, yeah. I do want to give a shout-out to everyone who's here watching us live on YouTube again every night. Sunday through Thursday, we usually go live right around midnight, a little bit past midnight. So thank you for staying up late for us here with us on the East Coast. And uh, if you're on the West Coast, it's a lot easier to watch us. So if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, it's youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. Thank you again for those who come out and hang out with us. Some news and notes from Wednesday. Marcelo Zuna is expected to miss five to six weeks after dislocating two fingers on his left hand on a slide that he had on Tuesday, where he uh, he hit his hand on Rafael Devers's cleat. He was off to a slow start, but this is still a pretty big blow, obviously, for the Braves and for fantasy managers alike. And I speculated on Twitter, Chris, I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon, but Drew Waters is a prospect for the Braves who has been pretty good. He's slowed down a little bit. The batting average is down to 250, but he's got three homers. He's got five steals at AAA, so maybe there's an opportunity for him here. Uh, but your reaction to Marcel Zuna? It stinks. It stinks. Man. I don't know. This season's just been ridiculous. And it's hard to make sense of why it's happening. Some of it's obviously, I think, related to 2020 and the shortened season. This is just bad luck, though. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Zuno was someone who I was definitely looking to buy low on. And now I think you can prob- probably only really buy low on him if you're doing pretty well in the standings. Because yep. I do think once he gets back, he'll he'll start hitting better. If you're in like 10th place and you're desperate, you probably need to just try to trade him for someone who's decent right now. Mm-hmm. And I dropped Ozuna down to outfielder 36 in my rankings, just behind Mark Canna, Charlie Blackman, Ramon Laureano, just ahead of names like Dylan Carlson, Joey Gallo, and Tommy Edmond. And you can argue he might even deserve to be even lower than that, but that's kind of where I slotted him in. For now, again, that's Marcelo Zuna. He's out five to six weeks. We could uh, do a whole Astro segment. We spoke about them already, but Framber Valdez, if he's available in any shallower leagues, he's 69% rostered right now. Nice. Make sure you get him on your team. He was great last year. Ground ball pitcher. Got a good amount of strikeouts. Has an awesome curveball. Jake Odorizzi will start on Saturday. He's 30% rostered. Chris, interested in him in deeper leagues or not so much? Uh, Yeah, in deeper leagues, but... You need to see what what kind of shape he's in before you before you think about adding him in a twelve team league for sure. But you know, in a fifteen team league, Jake Odorizzi probably should be rostered. We had a bunch of Yankees news on Wednesday. Corey Kluber again, unfortunate guy coming off a no hitter. I don't know if that played into it the fact that he threw as many pitches as he needed to in that start, but he has a subscapular strain in his right shoulder and will be shut down for at least four weeks. Davey Garcia has been recalled and will start this weekend against the Tigers. He's 28% rostered, but I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. Uh, Davey Garcia had been struggling mightily at AAA, a 5.17 ERA and a a 1.60 whip. So much like Odorizzi, he's kind of rostered in that same range right now. Chris, is he another name in in only deeper leagues, Davey Garcia? Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm more interested in him than Odorizzi, but that's just the allure of... 
the relatively unknown and relatively unproven over someone like Odorizu, who even at his best has mostly just been uh, pretty average. The problem with Garcia is the control. You know, that was an issue when he got up to AAA in 2019. And it's been an issue this season. Obviously, he only made one major league start, three walks and four innings, but 12 and 15 and two thirds so far at AAA. And, you know, since he basically got to the upper minors, it's been basically a, a walk every other inning. And I like his stuff. I think he can be a good pitcher. I think he can generate a lot of whiffs. He's got, you know, good fastball that he he can, you know, it's kind of deceptive. But the control problems really make it hard to see how he's going to be an impact guy unless he just gets much better. Yep. It wouldn't surprise me if he has a good start, this first one out against Detroit, just because it's the Tigers lineup, and obviously that's a good yeah. matchup. Uh, but a name to pay attention to, Davey Garcia there with the Yankees. Luke Voigt has a grade 2 oblique strain. Apparently, he started feeling it last Saturday. He was expected to miss this weekend series with the birth of his child. So, I, you know, I don't think those things are related. He probably is legitimately just dealing with an oblique strain. Uh, but once DJ LeMahieu returns, I assume he'll play first base. Rugnet Odor will play second. Glaber at short and, and Gio at third base. So, Yankees lineup is depleted, but the Cavalry is coming. Giancarlo Stanton will be activated on Friday, uh, the Yankees-Blue Jays game was postponed on Wednesday, which delayed Alec Manoa's debut another day. He will start the, I believe it's the first game of a doubleheader on Thursday. Cody Bellinger is expected to rejoin the Dodgers on Saturday. Byron Buxton is still having trouble decelerating and is unlikely to begin a rehab assignment immediately. Manny Machado is out for his sixth straight game, though he did make a pinch hit appearance on Wednesday. Nelson Cruz returned to the Twins lineup. Nick Senzel had sur- uh, knee surgery and is out four to six weeks. So uh, the guy, I think he's talented, but he a he hasn't really shown it on the field consistently, and uh, he hasn't really been on the field that much because injuries have been a real issue, even going back yeah. to the minors. It's it's a bummer. It's a bummer there for Nick Senzel. Uh, Nico Horner, another one, just returned recently from the IL. He goes back on with a left hamstring strain. Uh, Austin Hayes to the IL with a left hamstring strain as well. Brandon Belt. Went to the IL with a mild left oblique strain. David Dahl to the IL with a left rib contusion. It's just how many players are going to go on the IL every day? Chris Davis is set for more playing time for those in AL-only leagues. Marco Gonzalez is expected to return to the Mariners rotation next week. Jordan Alvarez was scratched Wednesday with right wrist soreness. Anthony Rizzo is dealing with back stiffness. Dominic Smith is dealing with a knee issue, which he suffered on a slide on Tuesday. Uh, Michael Kopech is day-to-day with left hamstring soreness. And finally, some good news. Michael Pineda returned from the IL on Wednesday, and he was great against the Baltimore Orioles. Six innings, one run, two walks, eight strikeouts on 19 swinging strikes. Both the strikeouts and swinging strikes were a season high for Michael Pineda. He is down to a 2.62 ERA and a 0.99 whip. However, Chris, he is one of these pitchers in that mid-tier where if you can turn him around for one of those buy-low hitters, I would look into doing it right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Pineda's okay, but he's not a top 70 pitcher for me. So I'm not I'm not really viewing him as someone who, you know, even needs to be on your roster. Whoa. I have him 58. Scott has him 56. Um, You have him 66. So in that fringe. But I I think he should be on a roster, Chris. I mean, he's got a 2.62 ERA. 
the underlying numbers say he's been lucky, but I think as long as he's pitching, yeah, slow, that, that, I guess that's my thing. Is like if if I needed a roster space, if I had a bunch of injuries and Michael Pineda was the worst pitcher on my on my team, I wouldn't necessarily feel terrible about dropping him. But if I could move him for Kevin Biggio in a roto league, I would definitely do that. All right, let's take a closer look at Chris Paddock, who also had a mixed bag of his own at the Brewers on Wednesday. Six innings, two hits, one run, zero walks, only two strikeouts, only four whiffs, only 68 pitches. However, I looked into this. He was pinch hit four in the seventh inning. There was a runner on third base in a tie game, and so they were looking for an opportunity to take the lead. They didn't do it. They actually took the lead in extra innings, Uh, but Chris Paddock also allowed eight hard hit balls, so that's kind of like the bad side of things, but... The spin rate on his fastball, I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff your way here, Chris, and and then you could just react to it. The spin rate on his fastball remained up. 2290 RPM in this start for Chris Paddock. He averaged 2230 RPM back in 2019. So now this is verging on, I think it's even before he got hurt, that the spin rate on his fastball has consistently been up and higher than it was back in 2019, which is what we wanted to see. We want to see the spin ball, uh, spin ball. (laughs) fastball high up in the zone with a high spin rate. And that's what he's been doing. He has a 1.42 ERA in four starts since returning from the IL. However, only with 14 strikeouts in 19 innings pitched. I read this great article from Kevin AC of the San Diego union tribune earlier, which highlighted that the break that Chris Paddock had while he was on the IL dealing with COVID, it was much needed. It was like a mental break for him. And you know, he needed to get away and, Basically, it highlighted how he talked to all of his teammates and stuff and uh, picked the brain of Joe Musgrove and you Darvish and Blake Snell and how there's more life on his fastball and there's confidence in the curve. So before the IL, he was only using the curve 6% of the time. Since he's returned, that number is 11.7%. So he's basically doubled that usage. And Chris, we don't normally talk about like the mental side of the game often here, uh, but there, this quote st- stuck out to me from Chris Paddock. He said, I started believing you suck and you need a third pitch. If you read that stuff and hear that stuff, eventually you you start to believe it. Whenever you get dragged down in that hole, it's hard to get back out of it. But I think it was a good learning experience for me because now that I'm getting out of it, I'm not going to go back in that hole because I know how to get out of it. So a bunch of stuff, spin rates and and curveball usage and, and mental side of the game. Where are you at on Chris Paddock? Uh, still pretty meh. All right. <laughs> um, I mean, the spin rate's a good sign, but he's still not, I mean, the, the swing strike rate obviously hasn't been there. He actually got hit pretty hard in this start. 91.3 mile per hour average exit velocity. He's been okay at limiting hard contact this season, but not great. You know, he's been pretty much average. And so I, I just kind of look around at everything that he's doing and I I don't necessarily see anything that he's doing well enough to make me think that he's about to figure it out. He could, but I I just don't think it's there yet. Yeah, I I get the skepticism 100%. I think he's moving towards getting back to the pitcher he was back in 2019. I don't think that we're there yet, but I think that there are encouraging signs like the curveball usage being up and the fact that he has more confidence in that pitch now, the spin rate being up on the fastball. And I think if we kind of just get all of those things working together at the same time with the changeup, getting back to that devastating pitch, then that's how we get Chris Paddock 
of 2019 back. And I think we're getting closer to that. I don't think we're there yet, but he's back inside my top 50 starting pitchers. The confidence is growing. I agree with you. Not 100% there, but I feel good. I think we're on the right track with Chris Paddock. So I wanted everyone to know what was going on there. The most traded players on CBS, Chris. Let's, I want to take a dive inside the mind of the fantasy manager that's playing on CBS and try and figure out why did they trade for this player? In what format might they be trading for this player? And uh, would we be doing the same thing? And this one I just don't get. It's the most traded player on CBS right now is Dane Dunning, who just allowed seven earned runs on Wednesday against the Los Angeles Angels. So I don't know that we have to say much about Dane Dunning outside of why were people either trading away or trading for Dane Dunning in this instance? I mean, he'd been really good in the month of May so far. And, you know, trying to look at, because he hadn't been a two-start pitcher anytime recently. Um, but yeah, it could have just been a people are selling high on him kind of thing. Um, I, I don't think there's much reason to think he has a ton of trade value, though. Yeah, I just, I, maybe from like a dynasty perspective, I, I don't know either there. It's just, Dane Dunning's kind of been doing it with smoke and mirrors. He's someone I liked coming into the season, but he doesn't get a lot of swinging strikes. He doesn't throw all that hard. He relies on like a 91 mile per hour fastball. He's kind of crafty. He has like this slurve pitch that he uses. He's fine. Uh, I think people were probably just trying to sell high on him. I, I don't think. Yeah, that- look, I think he's fine. Yeah, like I think he can be like a three seven five ERA guy moving forward. Yeah, um, I just I I wouldn't say there's like a reason to be trading for him necessarily. The second most traded player on CBS leagues right now is Charlie Blackman. And he is someone that we're still waiting to come around so far this season. Has got off to a pretty slow start, and obviously he's up there in age. He's 34 years old now. He is batting just 243 with a 358 slug. However, that comes with a 300 expected batting average and a 448 expected slug. So is this just classic buy-low situation right now, Chris? Yeah, it's so weird because guys who play at Coors Field half the time, generally, actually, their their expected stats are worse than their actual production just because the expected stats don't necessarily quite seem to know how to handle uh, Coors Field. The, The thing with him is that he just, he hasn't been good at Coors Field at all. It was the same thing for Trevor Story, though. So I I know some of their games earlier in the season were like snowed out and stuff. So I think there was some like weird weather going on there that that might have factored into that. But I think it's a buying opportunity. This is the 300 XBA, Chris, is the highest it has been in the StatCast era for Charlie Blackman, which is saying something because he was awesome for years. Yeah, I mean, he's not striking out much and he's he's done that without one. He's walking more, which is. Oftentimes you'll see when guys start walking more, it comes along with a an increase in strikeouts just because you're working deeper into counts and you're seeing more pitches. Um, but he's also hitting the ball harder this season, and it's a mile and a half hour harder than it was last year. So it's not necessarily just because of the new ball. So there are definitely some concern some uh promising signs for Charlie Blackman. I'm trying to think where did I end up with him? My rankings up at 27 in outfield, so I'm still not giving up on him. I think it is probably worth trying to trade low, trip by low. 
Yep. I have him at outfielder 33. Scott has him at outfielder 29. So we're all kind of in the same range there. If you can turn Alex Wood into Charlie Blackman, would you do it? I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what my trade values chart says, but I think I, I, I'm pretty sure I would have Blackman ahead of uh, Wood in that as well. We don't have to spend too much time on this next one, Chris, but Victor Robles, one of the most traded players on CBS. And I think if you play in a dynasty categories league, that's probably something that makes a lot of sense to do now while he's hurt. And I know that you've pointed out that the steals were up in the month of May, which correlated with his spot in the batting order. Yeah, he he hit either leadoff or ninth in 26 games, uh, 23 starts before going on the IL, and he had six stolen base attempts. So you divide 23 by six or six by 23, you multiply by 150. That's a 39 steal attempt pace. In 12 starts, otherwise, he had one stolen base attempt. We're dealing with small sample sizes, but the eighth spot in the NL lineup is generally speaking where the fewest amount of stolen bases happen because teams don't necessarily want to make an out on the bases with their pitcher up and, you know, leave a situation where the pitchers lead on leading off an inning or something like that. So um, I think if he comes back and bats ninth, Robles is probably going to be a 270 ish hitter with good steals. Would you say the same thing for Kesson Hira? I know that you were much higher on him coming into the season. He's uh, he's a tougher one to evaluate, Chris, because just in general, there's no better time to try and buy him in Dynasty if if you think that he's going to get back to the player we saw the first season that he was called up back in 2019, where he struggled at first, but you know those final two or three months, he was awesome. And then we were drafting him as a top 60 player last year, and he's he's been awful ever since. So... This one's really tough because I just don't really know what the the career trajectory is going to look like for Kesson Hira. Yeah, I mean, it's there, there's no doubt there's talent there, but he's clearly lost something and he needs to find it. And it's not clear if he found that in uh, his time at AAA. You know, you mentioned the mental side of the game with Christian Yelich. One thing that I was reading about Kesson Hira is he actually... I think it took him like a week to uh, report to AAA when he got sent down. And that was because he actually, uh, I believe he's from California. He went back home and spent some time with his mother who has cancer. And he said that's basically like the first time he's been able to spend Mother's Day with her. And, you know, since he started playing professional baseball. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that also could have an impact on a player from the mental side of things, whether, you know, he'll be better and specifically be be good enough to be a fantasy standout moving forward. I, I'm very skeptical. But yeah, I think in a dynasty league specifically, this is probably the right time to try to buy. It's interesting that you bring up too about his mom. I didn't realize that about Kesson Hira, but I, I would like to not exploit, that's not the right word, but acknowledge things like this that are happening for players because we don't do it often and it's real. I remember Gene Segura when Mm -hmm. I think he like second or third year in the league, he had a a terrible tragedy where he lost one of his kids and you know, he was not the same for like two or three seasons. Like these guys are human, man. Like stuff happens. So um, yeah, I think the hard thing with that is 
we don't know one way or the other what the impact is going to be. You right. know, some guys can be hampered by it, and that's totally natural. And some guys, you know, can can you know for whatever reason kind of play through that kind of off field thing. And everyone's different, and everybody responds to uh, those kind of situations differently. So, you know, it, it's it's really hard to say one way or the other. Um, you know, whether there's much to take from that when we learn that kind of information, but it's, it's important information to note at the very least. Let's try to breeze through some of these other ones, Chris. Nate Pearson, one of the most traded players on CBS. Uh, I think these are all kind of dynasty related right now. He, he He's another one where it's tough because he's dealt with so many injuries the past couple of years and you just don't really know what his role is going to be long term. Is he a starter? Is a reliever? You don't really know. So would you be looking to buy in a dynasty league on Nate Pearson or just stay away? Nate Pearson was drafted in 2017 and he has thrown 150.1 innings so far as a professional. And, you know, obviously 2020, there weren't a lot of opportunities to pitch, but he was also hurt. He really has not been able to be on the mound much. And that's a really important skill for a young pitcher to be able to show. So I I think I would be willing to buy if the price was really low, but I, I, I think there are very good reasons to have questions about what uh, Pearson is going to be able to contribute moving forward, unfortunately. For Austin Meadows, Chris, he is one of these players, one of the most traded on CBS right now as well, and he is still batting just 219. He has nine home runs, only one steal that came on a double steal where he was the trail runner, so he has not been running this year, uh, and the launch angle is just way too high. He's hitting too many fly balls, and it's it's affected his batting average, so... From a redraft perspective, are you more likely to buy Austin Meadows or stay away? You know, you start to look at the splits and heading into last season, it was like, oh, this guy can actually like hold his own against lefties. He's been brutal this year against lefties. And last year. Yes. And, you know, even in 2019, I mean, he had an 837 OPS against them, but he did strike out nearly 30% of the time. I think it's fair to wonder whether... Austin Meadows will be able to pull out of this and whether he's, you know, going to be able to prove to be an everyday star. Um, I'm still, I still have a lot of faith in him because I believe in the talent. It's not quite Keston hero levels, but it's a similar version of it where it's just something's wrong and whether he's able to fix it is going to be the key moving forward. And I'm optimistic, but not certain it's the launch angle for me. I pay close attention to him because I have a lot of shares and he's just hitting too many fly balls. I don't know if it's, he's affected by the shift and he's kind of just, all right, let me hit it over the shift rather than into the shift. But Mm -hmm. whatever it is, I mean, I would like to see the launch angle come down, maybe try to just square some balls up, line drives, ground balls the other way, whatever it might be. I think he's talented enough to do it, uh, but he just hasn't really done it so far this year. So that's Austin Meadows there. Christian Yelich, we spoke about the other day. Very polarizing player right now, given the injuries. Um, where did you fall on that one? More likely to buy or stay away? I think if you are in first place, it might be a time to move Christian Yelich. And if you are in need of a big boost, now is the time to try to buy him. Okay, so a big swing on the upside there with Christian Yelich. Yeah. Aaron Nola is another one of these players, early drafted you know, second, third round pick coming into 2021 against the Marlins on Wednesday, six innings, one run, three walks, six strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes. And his 
Curveball usage was back up, which I like to see. It was his most in the start since May 4th. So, uh, Aaron Nola, this is an easy buy for me, Chris. If you can find someone who has been at all worried about him, I would be looking to to prey on that. Yeah, he's got his best XERA since 2018. I definitely think this is the time to try to buy Aaron Nola. The last one I'll bring up is Nolan Arenado, who we have not spoken about together in quite some time, Chris. And I know that you were skeptical of him coming into the season. And I do have an Apple podcast review from Trenton Andrew Seven, who called us out. Nolan Arenado is currently first in the NL in extra base hits. I don't know when he left this. It was probably last week. So uh, excuse me if these are not factually accurate anymore. Uh, But first in the NL in extra base hits, fourth in the NL in home runs, seventh in batting average, second in RBI, fifth in slugging percentage, tenth in war. Can we get some apologies for Mr. Arenado yet? I don't know why we have to apologize necessarily. I mean, he's having a good season. Uh, He's having more than a good season, Chris. He's having a very good season. Yeah. Yeah, Nolan Arenado is good. I mean, you know, he's not the guy he was in Coors Field, but he's very good. He's on pace for 30-ish homers. Good RBI and run numbers, but not like elite. You know, he's on pace for 95 to 100 RBI, maybe 85-ish runs. He's having a a good season. I think he's quite good. I think... Maybe it was Scott and I who talked about Arenado recently, but basically I think what we were worried about coming into the season, Chris, was that he might be 75 to 80% of the player he was in Coors Mm -hmm. Field, and he's been more like 85 to 90% of that player. So he's got an 880 OPS this year. He was consistently, you know, 930 OPS or better in Coors Field. So if he settles in, you know, 875 to 900, that's still a very, very good player. It's not who he was, you know, back in Coors Field. But uh, yeah, I will say he has outperformed what I expected from him. So the thing that's tough is for a long time, he has been someone who outperforms his his expected stats. In 2020, he actually had a 308 WOBA and a 288 X WOBA. So even in a down year, he still outperformed it, and he did so every single season, which makes sense. He played half his games at Coors Field, like I mentioned with Charlie Blackman. Most of those guys outperform their expected stats. He's doing it again this year by 42 points, which is just about what he typically did when he was in Coors Field. So the question is, is this like a Chris Bryant situation where because he hits you know, so many of his line drives and fly balls to the pull side. Maybe he's able to outperform his expected stats. Or is this just a small sample size fluke? And there's really no way to answer that right now. We'll need a full season plus of him playing not with half his games, of course, to to really get a sense. Sell high or no thanks guy, Nolan Arenado. I wouldn't mind selling high, but it's not like a you need to get out before the bottom falls out. I think he'll be very good. Yep, I would agree with that. If you enjoy the podcast, please feel free to leave us a five-star Apple podcast rating and drop a question in the review. We'll answer it on a future podcast. We actually have a few of those APR questions that we'll answer real quick right now, Chris. This one's from jpert 21 Would you trade Alex Wood for Jamison Tyone and Denelson Lamette? I don't need the extra depth, so I'm leaning towards keeping Wood, but feel like Lamette could be great down the stretch. Um, I'm pretty much at the point right now where I'm not necessarily expecting anything from, from Denelson Lamette. Um, he is starting on Friday against the Astros, for what it's worth. He had been used as a reliever recently. Yeah, and 
it's it's kind of like like I have him as a four in the trade values chart uh, in head to head two in roto, which basically means he's he's pretty close to not adding much value to a trade. Um, I would guess I closed the window, so I can't confirm for sure, but I would guess I have Wood ahead of Tyone. I have Wood oh, no. way ahead of Tyone. I have Tyone actually a little ahead. I think Wood's really good. So many injury questions, so many performance questions. You know, he's been very, very good in spurts. You know, his career has been like, I think he had one really good season overall, one really great half season with the Dodgers. And it's just been like, we've never seen consistency from him. And obviously, Tyone hasn't been a model of consistency himself. But before the injury, I, I think he was starting to, to show more of that. So would you do it? Would you trade Wood for Tyone and Lamette? Yeah. I would not, but it is close. Makes sense. This one's from High Rise 234. Grade the trade. 10 team heads head categories league. Rafael Devers for you, Darvish. That's, that seems is very pretty close to a push. Yeah. I think. I agree. Um, head to head or categories? Head to head categories, yeah. In a head to head categories, it's probably Darvish, but if you've got an an overabundance of pitching like Rafael Devers is an elite hitter. I, I feel like we kind of haven't talked enough about how good he's been this season. And basically since the start of 2019, he's had 20 bad, a 20 game bad stretch at the start of last season. Basically was what it was. What it like took him 23 games to hit his first home run. Yep. He's great. He actually leads baseball in RBIs right now. 43 of them. He hit a three-run okay, so, three homer on Wednesday. Yeah, he had a 543 OPS 14 games into the season last year. He hit his first home run. All right, do I have these numbers right? All right, either way, he was awesome for most of last season. His bad ball data is really, really good. I think he's the guy he was in 2019, which is uh, he, he was a top-five hitter that season. I don't think he'll be quite as good, but... The counting stats have been there. I think he's a great hitter overall. Doesn't he actually have like three steals so far this season too? I think he does. He might have a few caught stealing as well. Like he's not efficient on the base paths at all. But uh, Yeah, I think he's three for three or three for six. He's probably going to yep. give you something like six to eight steals for the entire season, which is not nothing, but obviously he's not a <laughs> major contributor either. I think it's a push. I think it's a C. It's yeah. whatever you needed. If you needed pitching, I think it's... A good trade. I think if you needed Devers on the other side of it, I think it's a fair trade as well. The last one, he, he was eight for eight on steals in 2019 as well. So he's 11 for 11 over his last three seasons or 11 for 22. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this last one's from the Sabre 12. Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, and Will Smith, the closer for Wander Franco and Dylan Cease in a dynasty categories league. I don't think Will Smith has hardly any value in a categories league. Most relievers don't, especially not ones in their thirties. I think getting Wander Franco in this trade is a pretty significant win, especially with some fair questions about Mackenzie Gore. Yes. At this point. So, um, I agree. I like this. I would say that's pretty much an a, obviously Wander Franco is the best player in the trade. I think the next two best players are the ones you're giving up, but I still think that's worth doing. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to take a look at some roster rates for hitters. Do they need to be higher? Some waiver wire pitchers from Wednesday and the rest of the action that you need to know about. We'll do that next on Fantasy Baseball Today. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do these roster rates need to be higher? Miguel Sano went one for three with his ninth home run of the season. Seven of those have come in May. He's 71% rostered. Chris, does that number need to be higher? No. No, I don't think so because... I don't, I don't know where you're going to play him if you play in a head-to-head points league. I mean, maybe you're desperate and you lost. Maybe you had Marcelo Zuna, Mike Trout, and Fran Mel Reyes on your roster, and maybe then you can find a spot for him. But I think he's pretty much just like a Rota power specialist. Agreed. How about Nick Madrigal? He has back-to-back three-hit games, and all of a sudden he's betting 301. The problem doesn't really do anything else. He has one home run and one steal in the season. 68% roster for Madrigal. Does that number need to be higher? Again, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know why they're not letting him run. That's the big thing. If they were letting Nick Madrigal run, he's 82nd percentile in sprint speed. He was like a 35 to 40 stolen base per 150 games guy in the minors. If they let him do that, I think he could be a very, very good roto option. As is... I don't know. 68% is probably a little high. Yeah. He's kind of like David Fletcher when David Fletcher is good. He's been very bad this year, but that's kind of... Or Luis Arias. Yeah. I mean, those are all... Or or even someone like Miguel Rojas, who doesn't necessarily make quite as much contact as those guys, but is a batting average only kind of player. I think Rojas... Miguel Rojas might be better. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think he's probably better than Nick Madrigal. This he, He has been. That's... Actually, a factual statement, and he might be better moving forward. Tommy Miguel Rojas has been like kind of sneaky good for like a couple of years now. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm not Weird. being like facetious. He actually has. He's he's been solid. Yeah. Tommy Pham went two for four with his six stolen base on Wednesday. He now has six hits, six runs scored, and three steals over his last six games. Slowly coming along. Fifty-two percent rostered. He has seven games next week. Chris, is that number too low for Pham? Fifty-two percent. I guess with seven games next week, he'll probably be in Scott White's sleeper hitters column. Uh, we'll see about the matchups, but uh, yeah, yeah. What is it? 48%, 52%. That feels a little low, I suppose. Um, there are still some pretty good signs. Like his ex Woba is really high, 361. He's at 288 for his overall Woba. Uh, I guess he's worth adding. It's If you're in a three outfielder league, though, are you really going to use him? That much. And maybe categories if you need speed, but yeah, I, I think that's where he just kind of falls short is that he just, he might be a little better in a category in a points league in terms of his overall ranking, but there are fewer spots for him. How about on the starting pitcher side of things, your favorite waiver wire pitcher from Wednesday, we already spoke about Garcia and Caprillion up at the top. So, I would say we like them more than these names. Maybe not. I don't know. You tell me, Chris. Griffin Canning was up against the Rangers, delivered a quality start. Six innings, three runs, seven strikeouts. He's 33% rostered. Merrill Kelly against the Giants. Six innings, two runs, six strikeouts. That's three straight quality starts for Merrill Kelly. He's got a nice two-start week next week versus the Mets 
at the Brewers. I like that a lot. Tristan McKenzie, back in the Cleveland rotation. Thank you, Zach Plesak, for aggressively taking your shirt off. And McKenzie was at the Tigers, five shutout with five strikeouts. And the last one I'll mention, Mike Miner at the Tampa Bay Rays. Five innings, one run, four walks, meh, nine strikeouts. Yeah, we like that. So between Miner, McKenzie, Merrill Kelly, and Griffin Canning, Chris, these are kind of deeper-ish options, but who's your favorite of that bunch? I don't know what's gone into Merrill Kelly, but he's been really good for like a month now. And he's coming um, off of thoracic outlet, which is like unheard yeah. of. Yeah, literally over the last month, his last start, going back to April 27th, he has made six starts. He's averaging over six innings, just over six innings per start, 36.2 innings overall. He's got, trying to do some math in my head right now, is that six strikeouts tonight? So he's got 39 over those 36 and two-thirds innings uh, and like a 325 ERA. I don't necessarily know what's going on, and he's really only had one really good strikeout start. That was the last time out against the Dodgers when he struck out 12 and in seven innings. This has been an interesting stretch for him. I, I would say my favorite waiver wire pitcher of this group is probably Griffin Canning. But um, Kelly with the good matchups last next week, he's probably got to be 50% rostered yep. for, for week 10. I least. We, we should do every Wednesday, uh, well, now it's Thursday morning, but on this podcast, when we do it together, Chris, we should tr- try to predict who's going to be on, on Scott's sleepers, <laughs> and I think that Tommy Pham might be one of them. Merrill Kelly might be one as well, so it's yeah. kind of like beat Scott White sleepers, right? Like, who, <laughs> yeah. can we figure them, them out before they happen? I like those matchups quite a bit. We'll do some quick studs being studs, pitchers first, and then hitters. If anything stands out to you, Chris, just... Stop me and talk about it. Carlos Rodon had a tough luck loss against the Cardinals. The guy just keeps chugging away. Six innings, one run, zero walks, 10 strikeouts, 22 swinging strikes, 16 of those on the fastball. Entering the start, he was the number three pitcher in fantasy points per game. Tyler Glass now against the Royals, eight shutout with 11 strikeouts to two walks. He threw a career high 49 sliders in the start. His previous high was 36. That came earlier this season. Tyler Glass now is amazing. And of course, the biggest stud of all. I mean, we're burying the lead. How did it take us 51 minutes? It, to get I was to this about guy? to call you out for it yeah, during I, the previous segment. It's just so ridiculous. John Gant. I mean, of all the dramatic things, John Gant being John Gant and throwing a John Gant, which we came out the other day and we said, you know, five shutout, three, four walks couple of hits, he'll give you a strikeout per inning. That's John Gant. That's exactly what he did against the White Sox. So from now on, moving forward, five shutout with at least a 1.50 whip, that is a John Gant. The guy, I, he's, he's... I prefer, this is the, the, <laughs> the definition I prefer. I did some research earlier on. This. All right. So he has made 27 starts since the start of 2018. And in 11 of those starts, he's allowed two or fewer runs with three or more walks and five fewer strikeouts. So (laughs) about 40% of the time that John Gant has started in the last four seasons, uh, he has been below a two-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio with two or fewer runs allowed. I think that's a John Gant. He leads the majors in such starts going back to 2018, even though he's only made 27 starts. So... I believe that is the John Gant. 
I believe Martin Perez was tied with him coming into tonight's start in John Gantz, and Sandy Alcantara has nine John mm. Gantz, but only one this season. So he's really slipping. Yeah, Martin Perez is a prime John Gant kind of guy. I, I can see that. I think that's a really, really good call there. So we're, we're being, we're completely kidding. Like, don't add John Gant if you want to stream him in the right matchups. I mean, he's, he's actually, every matchup has been the right matchup. Right. I mean, you always call him out as one of your streamers. So shout out to you, man. Uh, the the <laughs> no, biggest it's, it's advocate. Really weird because he's, he's like objectively not that good. No, he's, he's got like, he's very low bad. threes ERA over 200 plus innings in his major league career. This year, he has a 1.81 ERA with a 1.57 whip. That does not love add to up. see it. <laughs> that does not add up. Studs being studs, hitter edition, Rafael Devers. We already talked about him. He went two for three. Uh, actually, he might have even had more. I, I haven't updated this because they were in a rain delay, but that game just ended. Uh, he had at least two hits. With his 14th home run, he's now leading baseball with 43 RBI. That's Rafael Devers. Number two in RBI this season, Trey Mancini. He has 42 of them with 11 home runs. He's awesome. He's Basically back to 2019, Trey, Trey Mancini. That, you actually do love to see it. Jose Altuve hit his sixth home run. He's batting 311. Adolis Garcia ties the league lead with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Garcia has 16 home runs now. Matt Olson, we haven't talked about him. Maybe he's someone we have to give a little bit more love on a future podcast, but he hit his 13th home run. He's got a 264 batting average with a 912 OPS. Uh, and Mitch Hanniger, another one. Maybe we haven't given him enough love. But he went two for four with a double and an RBI. He is a top 10 outfielder in both points leagues and Roto right now. The call to the pen, some bullpen updates. And there are a lot. I mean, there always is. The Twins, Hansel Robles got his third save. Uh, Both he and Tyler Rogers had been used three of the last four days entering Wednesday. So they opted to go with uh, Robles instead of Rogers. And Robles is still just 20% rostered for those of you in deeper category leagues who do need saves. For Oakland... Jake Diekman recorded four outs for his sixth save of the season. He's 43% rostered. For the Tigers, Michael Fulmer was using the eighth inning. This one has kind of bounced back and forth as well. Uh, He was using the eighth to face nine, one, and two in the order uh, in the Cleveland lineup. And then Gregory Soto was using the ninth. He picked up his fifth save of the season. For Tampa Bay, they went with the newly acquired J.P. Fireisen in the ninth inning instead of Diego Castillo, who hadn't pitched since May 22nd. And JP allowed a game-tying home run to Andrew Benintendi. They did wind up winning that game, 2-1. to one. Uh, So Fire Ison got the win. Uh, he pitched two innings, actually. So <laughs> are, are the Rays just back to being the Rays, Chris? Is this... I don't know. I don't know why they're not using Castillo. They should have used him here. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what... He had three days off coming into this one. I don't know, maybe... Coming back from the IL, they want to give him some extra time. Maybe he wasn't feeling well. You know, those kind of things might not get reported, but it's definitely frustrating. It definitely does seem like they're back to being that. Um, and I also just want to say, team name Thursday, song of JP Fire Ison. I noticed that too, because when I phonetically spelled out his name, I listened to how they said it on the broadcast, and it literally sounded like Fire Ice End. And that was it. So I appreciate that. For the Giants, their bullpen, Jake McGee was used in the eighth inning to face David Peralta, Carson Kelly, and Josh Reddick. So two lefties there. Tyler Rogers used in the ninth, and he picked up his sixth save. So that looks very matchup-based right now with the San Francisco Giants. For the Angels, Rysel Iglesias got his eighth. For the Padres, Mark Melanson got his 17th. 
For the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell got his 11th. And for the Marlins, Yimmy Garcia picked up his ninth save. To stream or not stream for Thursday, Chris, give me your three favorites. Antonio Sensatella at the Mets. Spencer Howard at the Marlins. Tyler Anderson versus the Cubs. Brady Singer at the Rays. Shane McClanahan versus the Royals. And Carlos Martinez at the Diamondbacks. I think I would go Singer, who I think probably needs to just be rostered more than just the streamer range. Then I would go Howard and McClanahan. I really wanted to say Tyler Anderson, but I don't know about the matchup. Yeah, he got destroyed his last time out, too. So I'm with you. I I think I would put McClanahan second on this list. Spencer Howard. Yeah, that that makes sense. Spencer Howard, I'm fine with it. I kind of toyed with the idea of Senzatella just because the Mets lineup is so, so bad, Chris. Yeah, I could see him having a good start. Yep. How about for Friday? Justice Sheffield versus the Rangers. Jordan Lyles at the Mariners. Randy Dobnak versus the Royals. Martin Perez versus the Marlins. Mitch Keller, your boy, versus the Rockies. That game is in Pittsburgh. And Alex Cobb at Oakland. This is a very bad list. Yeah, it's not great. I, I think my preferences would be... I think Perez is number one. Yeah, Perez. I'll be at that game. It sounds like it might get rained out, so who knows? Oh, I hope that doesn't happen. I, I'd be very disappointed. I just bought um, I just bought tickets to Yankees Red Sox next Friday. Oh, man, that'd be fun. I should check if there are tickets available for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. they're they're widely available. I mean, you're gonna they're more expensive, obviously, because it's a Red Sox game, so yeah. I'm like... I'm sitting high up in the nosebleeds and I'm and I'm spending like fifty dollars a ticket, but whatever. Oh, that's not bad. I might do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Perez, Cobb, and I think I'll go Dobnak. Yeah, I, I like that call. Let's wrap up with some fantasy justice for all. Shout out to everyone who sent in your fantasy justice questions. This is a lot like fantasy cops, which they do on fantasy football today. Used to be the regulator segment here on FBT, but we can no longer do the regulators uh, song. So if you, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. if you have an issue with your league commissioners, basically something that's not fantasy related, uh, email us in and, and we'll try and come to a conclusion for you. This one's from Tony. My league is a 10 team points league where we assign wins to the top five teams each week and a loss to the bottom five teams each week. This morning, one of the people in the league looked back to week three and noticed that the scores on CBS show different now than they did on that Monday following the scoring period. We have been able to identify that the team that finished fourth had their points reduced somehow by four points, which dropped them to sixth place. The commissioner kept a screen, uh, kept a spreadsheet with each week's scores, which is actually the only reason we were able to figure out which team had a scoring change. He typically updates that on Monday afternoons, so the update was likely at some point after that, which seems odd to us. If anyone ever needs to find this, by the way, if you play on CBS, if you hover over the scores tab in your league and you click on stat corrections, you can go back to any week and see the official stat corrections that happened in baseball. So just a shout out there if you need to know. So the team that was originally in sixth place once the once that win at this point, the team that was originally in the top five, is questioning when a scoring period should be final and also wanting to be able to know what the actual scoring change was that would be would have pushed him into a loss instead of a win. Who gets the win? I think it's whoever got pushed up into the top five should get it. It's I mean scoring you know, these, these scoring changes suck, especially, you know, in fantasy football, but they happen all the time. So, again, you can find them on the website and you can find exactly what it was that happened. So, I think you kind of have to honor the scoring change, no, Chris? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to figure out. Oh, okay. Chris Paddock apparently had. This is probably what it was. Chris Paddock went from one earned run allowed to five earned runs allowed. That sounds start. It sounds on, exactly like four points. Yeah, so that's probably what it was. Although you would think with that kind of change, there might have been a hit involved as well. Um, but yeah, I guess that was his start on April 20, 20th, maybe? I don't know. I kind of think both teams should just get a tie. I, I don't really think there's like a right answer there. Um, the official MLB scoring says that the guy who got the stack correction wins or the guy who was who benefited from the stack correction wins, but I think the most fair way to do it is to just give them both a tie. There or are, give them both or give them both a win if you can. Um but yeah, I I don't think there's a right answer there. I guess I would lean towards leaving it if there is a right answer, but the other side seems equally legitimate. This next one's from Colin. We had a trade this week for the first time. This is a 10-team category league. I'm writing to you because two of our managers have agreed to Yasmani Grandal and Christian Yelich for Alex Verdugo and Wilson Contreras. The problem I see with this trade is that the managers are in a relationship with each other, which raises suspension, and the team receiving Yelich is currently in third, and the other is in second to last place. What do you think should be done about this? It doesn't seem like... It's not a great trade, but it doesn't seem terrible either. Grandal and Yelich for Verdugo and Wilson Contreras. This might have happened a while ago, though. Okay, so I think, like, if you're going to do this and, like, tell them they can't make this trade, you kind of have to tell them to break up, right? <laughs> You can't trade with any significant others. I, like this is not it's not a great trade for the team giving up uh Yelich, but it's it's not that bad. You know, we were talking the other day. I'm trying to remember who Scott said he would give up. He wouldn't give up for for Yelich. I think it was Winker. Yep. And I actually have her do go higher than Winker. Yeah, so I don't I don't think it's it's not a great trade, sure, but it's not yeah, it's a great definitely not vetoable unless I'm, you're going to tell those people they can't be in the league. I'm very anti-veto trades, too, yeah. so I, I think this trade is fine. You let it go through, but as someone who plays in a league with my dad, I never trade with him because if I did, the whole league would just, they would go crazy. So. Yeah, I'm in a football league with my wife, and we can't trade together. <laughs> there have been times when it's been like there's an obvious trade that we should make, and we just can't. Yeah. Uh, this last one is, oh man, it's pretty long too. All right, let's try and scri- uh, skim through this one. From Josiah, Dustin's team is not very good and has decided to focus towards 2022. He has traded away players for 2022 draft picks, etc. As part of this, he has deployed a controversial strategy of benching all his hitters if he takes an early lead in average and OPS early in the week in hopes of winning those two categories and then punting the rest of the hitting categories. This has had mixed results, but Dustin argues that based on the talent on his team, he would rather try to lock in two hitting categories than potentially losing all of them. Some in the league are not happy, saying that it is lame and unfair because he is being non-competitive and it affects the outcomes of matchups and the standings. As commissioner, I think that as long as he is playing within the rules, he can manage his team however he wishes. So... 
One, should Dustin be allowed to manage his team in this uh, manner, or is he compromising the integrity of the league? Well, answer that question first, Chris. What do you think? Yes. Secondly, it was suggested... I think he's doing both. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, it was suggested that we create a minimum at-bats rule to qualify for hitting categories. Most teams are on board, but not everyone. Well... You can't change a rule midseason unless it's unanimous. So I will. Yeah, I'll just throw that, that in there. Yeah, like if you if you wanted to change the rule, and you shouldn't. Like you can't change rules midstream. Um, my personal view on this, and this comes up a lot when people are like, "Well, I just don't play a catcher because they'll wreck your ratios or, uh, you know, whatever." You got to field a full lineup. You got to field a legal lineup. Like that's just. Maybe call me a stickler for the rules or what have you, but like the Angels can't go out there and say, well, we're only going to have six hitters in the lineup today because we only think we have six good hitters and we don't want to waste any outs on Taylor Ward. Like you can't do that. You have to have your players in your lineup. I play the leagues where I'm commissioner. If you don't have a legal lineup, your score doesn't count. And I think that's the way it should be. If he wants to, drop all of his players and only start Luis Arias and start a bunch of bench guys who never play or minor league guys who never play fine. But you can't just not have guys in your lineup. I I strongly believe you should have to field a full lineup. I I do think that a at bats minimum for the week in a head to head categories league makes sense. Although we don't talk about it often, but, but it probably should be a thing because for this reason, you know, what if someone just has like a 1000 batting average after one day and they just, they want to bench the rest of their hitters, right? They're going to lose obviously anything, any accumulative statistic, but, um, I guess that's within their right to do so unless, unless your league has rules against it. So I'm in favor of the minimum at bats for a head to head categories weekly league. Uh, so I think justice has been served. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.